0: How's everybody doing? Yeah, it's uh odd time of year, isn't it? It's like full of joy and and peace and stress and discomfort, right? Like it, it's just one of those things where it's like different this year, right? And Christmas can be a little bit like that anyway, right? It, it, it's a season of of joy and festivities, but also a season. Of you know maybe even mourning loss and and things like that and so we just have to be mindful in a season like this that you know everybody experiences these things differently and then we're also in like I don't know year nine hundred of a pandemic uh, and so things are like different right and they're changing and it seems like we've been doing this stuff forever sort of cycling through these different uh, different uh, whatever how you doing. Right? Like, really, when when I say, how you doing? How are we really doing this morning? Are we ready to kind of just give our whole selves to Jesus? Because, you know, he's above pandemics. Right? He's, He's past and beyond all of our stresses. He wants to speak into them, to intervene into them. And he wants to bring us peace. So, when you think of Christmas, the season of Christmas... What is the first thing that comes to mind? What, what's the first thing that comes to mind when they just when somebody says Christmas, what pops into you and what is your gut reaction? You know, for some of us, we might automatically go to Jesus and you're like super holy and amazing if you're one of those people. That's awesome. Good for you. You know, but others of us, we get into more things like, you know, holidays, time off work. Uh, time with family, Uh, what kind of gifts am I gonna get? I hope mom and dad get me what I wanted this year. Uh, You know, like I've been waiting for that watch this whole time or whatever. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, what's the first thing that pops into mind when you think of Christmas? Now, of course, as a pastor, right, like my hope is that Jesus is the center of the Christmas season. That's my hope. But unfortunately, when I observe sociologically the culture all around me, including the culture of the Christian church, Christmas is often barely associated with Jesus at all. And so we might first think Jesus, but is our actions and the way that we function in Christmas actually centered in Christ? I did something interesting, and and you have to to do this nowadays. Can I have my water right there? You have to do this nowadays in order to actually understand anything in our world. Thank you so much. You have to Google it, right? Like, if you want to know anything, if you want to understand anything, you want to become an expert at something, like, just Google it, right? And so I Googled Christmas. Do you know what came up? It was really interesting. So, and I understand like search engines are driven by money and so on and so forth. And so, the first thing that came up when I Googled Christmas was actually a YouTube song. And it was a YouTube song that's brand new. It's had over fifty-four million views, and it just came out not that long ago. And it's a song called "Merry Christmas" by Ed Sheeran, and uh, what's that other guy's name? Um, Elton John. That's it. There we go. Right. That's what comes up, Christmas, Merry Christmas by Ed Sheeran and Elton John. So I thought to myself, well, I'm curious about this. What do you think they're going to sing about? So I gave the song a listen. I'll be honest, I didn't make it all the way through. (laughs) Well, mostly because Ed Sheeran was dancing in a Santa outfit, and it was a little disturbing. The song Merry Christmas had absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He wasn't even mentioned. Christmas, right? It's in the name, right? And, and it wasn't even mentioned. What they sang about was kissing people under a mistletoe, which is nice, depending who's standing near you. They sang about, like, drinking wine. Some people are like, yeah. Other people are like, oh. They sang about, ready? Hoping for snow. I think that's demonic. But this is what they're singing about, right? Mistletoe, drinking wine, hoping for snow, but nothing about actual Christmas. Yet Christmas, as we know it, is specifically Jesus-centric. It's a Jesus-centric holiday. Christmas is a Christian holiday, It's a Christian holiday that celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God coming to be with us. And and our world has taken the historical story of Jesus and turned it into something that has nothing to do with Jesus. It's turned it into something that is actually focusing on us, on our wants on our individualistic nature, our individualism where we're like grow up, get out of the house, get a job, build fences, just spend time with family, don't extend beyond that. And Christmas becomes all about that, gathering as family with time off work and giving gifts to one another. It's a holiday season for family to be together, but yet the scriptures give us a very different picture of what christmas is and even in the church we've turned christmas into entertainment for christians we do christmas banquets that's about feeding ourselves in gluttony and then having christian entertainment of some song of somebody who can barely sing or whatever i don't know what we do at christmas but it has very little to do with jesus christ most of the time And the Christmas story that we're given in Scripture actually sets the tone for the gospel message itself. You see, if we're gonna understand the gospel, this is the bare bones, the beginning of the narrative that moves us into the narrative that we're supposed to be sharing with the world. Did you know that statistically, attendance, and I'm not talking about COVID attendance, this is pre-COVID, it's even worse now. But did you know that statistically, attendance... Is at an all time low in church services around North America during the month of September or December and September. Think about that December, right? We get so busy with other things, we just can't seem to fit God's family into it because we're just trying to fit our own immediate family into the month. So church attendance is down before COVID. Now it's like almost non existent. I think we have 65 people in the room today. Not only is church attendance down in the month of December, but attendance on Christmas Eve services. So even the one-time-a-year people are not coming to celebrate the birth of Christ anymore. And statistically, most of these numbers are actually with professing Christians, So I'm not even talking about the people who don't know Jesus and then coming once a year. I'm talking about people who profess faith are absent from the family of God in the month of December. Interesting, isn't it? I can't help but wonder, folks, if, if we're missing the significance of the season for the sake of making the season all about ourselves. This Christmas we've been focusing on the story of Christmas itself, the the historical narrative that Scripture gives us about the season that we're celebrating. And, And here's part of the problem, and I've said this before, it's a familiar story, isn't it? It's a familiar story, and because it's so familiar, we often overlook its rich message and significance in our lives. But the story of Christmas in Scripture gives us the basics of the gospel. It's the good news that we Christians are biblically called to share with the world. And, and it all starts with the birth of two babies celebrating birth, that's what the Christmas story is about, these miraculous births. First comes a guy named John who's born to a priest and a barren woman named Elizabeth. And not only is it a priest and a barren woman, it's a barren woman who's super old. This matters because it makes it more miraculous. It makes the story, the narrative that much more impressive. They're not supposed to have babies. They're long past that. And yet this is who God decides to use. He mutes the priest. See the significance in that. And he uses a woman who was barren and disgraced because of that at third time. We don't see it that way today, of course. But in scriptural times and Old Testament times, being barren was like, God's not with you anymore. And this is what God uses. And then, and then, He's given us hope through a child named John. And then he moves into a second birth, the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus born, hear this, born to a virgin teenage peasant girl. And Pastor Tamil talked last week about how messy that story actually is, that it isn't this prim and proper sort of clean thing that we... Turn it into, anybody knows that if you've birthed a child before? I haven't literally, but I watched and I cut the cord three times. It's not like this beautiful, it's beautiful, but like it's, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Think about this for a second. A muted priest and a barren woman and a teenage peasant woman are the first main characters used in the Christmas story. Two miracles kick off this story as we celebrate Christmas. These two miracles, folks, are done through a hopeless old couple and a teenage girl. Messy, imperfect people who no one would expect to be the main character of the story Of a coming king. This is what the Christmas story is all about, folks. This is what the Christmas story is like. There's nothing normal about it, there's nothing mundane about it. It's not what one would expect, yet, it's exactly how God wants it to be told. That's important to understand. See, we clean the story up, we make it all kind of entertainment based and North American uh, ish. But the story in the scriptures is told exactly how God wants it to be told. So let's pick up the narrative in Luke's gospel. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and we'll read to verse 18. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks, at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. This is not the first time we've seen this, right? In the story, an angel appearing and the human beings who the angel is appearing to are like, ah, what is going on? They're terrified, right? That's, that's normal in scripture, but it's significant. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. That's a good opening line right? Like glory appears to you and it's got to tell you like, don't be afraid. That actually tells us something that we actually don't experience glory very often. It, we're scared of it. We're fearful of it. And it has to tell us to not be afraid. He says, I bring you good news. Now, what kind of good news? He says, good news that will cause great joy for all. I want you to hear that word. Great joy for all. Not just some, not just a few people, not just people who get it, not, you know, just the Jews or just the Gentiles. Or he says, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. He says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Why is it significant that it says all? because the Jewish people were waiting for us, Messiah, not the Gentile people. Do you see the subtlety that's happening there? It's telling us something that's gonna continue to happen in the gospel narrative, and it's announcing it right off the bat. This is gonna be a big deal for all people, not just the Jewish people. This will be a sign to you, he says. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying. So take a step back, Put your, you're a shepherd, you're out in the field, you're minding your own business, you're, you're kind of just looking for wolves and, and, and different signs that something might go wrong. And boom, an angel appears in glory, you freak out, angel tells you calm down. Then he tells you that the greatest news ever that brings joy to the whole entire world, I'm gonna give it to you first, And then the greatest choir to ever exist appears in the sky. Like what is happening here? This doesn't sound like our Christmas story, does it? It says suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the heavens and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I love this. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. (laughs) I'm guessing that wasn't the way I just read it. Right? You see how sometimes we like read scripture kind of without the tone that it was probably done in. It was probably like, guys, I think we should probably go. I think we should go check out what just happened and really see what's going on here. And then our doubtful human self is like, I don't know, I just saw some weird stuff. Like, I don't know, I gotta question all of that. I gotta doubt all of that. And I don't know, maybe we should go check it out. Like, maybe that was the tone, I don't know. The text just tells us that after this huge, amazing spectacle had happened, their reaction was, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about I do want to point out, though, that they didn't say which might have happened. Do you notice that? Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened. They believed the angel. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I bring you good news, is what the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. This is the message of the angel to the shepherd. There's something significant happening here. It's a shepherd. It's a group of shepherds. We we don't think anything of that. We don't know much about shepherds. Actually, there's an apple orchard nearby that has shepherds. Like real deal, they actually have shepherds. Uh, and, and they're a little different. They carry guns uh, and things like that. But um, when we think shepherd, we, we really don't think much of it. But there's this extremely significant reason why God chose to share the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ with the people in society that were considered to be the lowest status of all people, Shepherds, folks, I don't know if you knew this or not, but shepherds were not glorified people. They were not of royalty. They were literally seen in society at this time in Jesus' history. They were seen as lower than peasants. So this was not like just the poor people. This was the people below the, the poor people. Shepherds were some of the least important people in the time of Christ. Now, we get a little bit confused with that because in the early years of Israel, a shepherd is actually referred to as a very normal uh, occupation. We see this imagery all throughout Scripture. A shepherd is used throughout the Old Testament in very positive ways. But as time went on in society, the society became more aristocratic in nature. Things change, right? And so as we're reading the Old Testament, you can't read it as this static thing that never changes. Times change, culture changes. And so you'll use, the the Old Testament will use the imagery of shepherd in a positive way, but in the first century of Judaism, it was not positive at all. Shepherds became very marginalized and alienated from society. They were kind of seen as smelly lowlife. This is why this passage, folks, is actually so radical and so significant when it comes to our understanding of the gospel message itself. If you're preparing to welcome royalty into the world, if you're like preparing to welcome the king or the queen to Canada, right? What do we do? We don't gather up all the drug addicts downtown and line them up, right? That's what's happening here though. Whoever we would class as the lowest of society, those are the people that first get the gospel message and those are the people, folks, who are first gonna take the gospel message around the world. Isn't that interesting? The lowly of the low, the marginalized of society are the ones that God goes to to share his good news you see in the time of Christ religion had become something that God really never intended it to be that shouldn't surprise us cuz we as human beings tend to you know bring sin into just about everything that we do and that's that's just good christian theology right we're born into sin we naturally think with a sinful nature, but the enemy has duped us to think that we think good. Now, I'm not saying that people can't be good, but I am saying that we have this natural disposition to be self-centered. It's much easier to be self-centered than it is to be others-centered. Have you ever noticed that? Like it's much easier to just do something good for yourself. Sometimes we do good things for others, but we want recognition for it, and that's actually all about self. You ever cooked a meal and thought, no one thanked me for that meal. Religion had become something it wasn't. Religion became only for those who were born into it or who could look the part. And religion became about specific acts or laws that people had to follow, and only those who were apparently following it the best could actually be the good religious people. Now, in the time of Christ, there were two main. There were actually four, but we're going to focus specifically on two for just a second because these are the two main expressions of Judaism in the time of Christ, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There was the Essenes too, but they were so radical that we should probably not talk about them although a lot of people thought Jesus was one of them. The Sadducee leaders, they were the ones who were attached to the temple. So whenever you think temple, don't think Pharisees, think Sadducees. Now the Pharisees would visit the temple, but it was the Sadducees who ran the temple. And these Sadducees were pretty good at making money off of the temple. That was actually one of their main thrusts was how could they uh, be entrepreneurs using God's temple. And we see that story uh, where Jesus is correcting that when he goes into the temple courts and he sees that they're selling all the stuff that's needed uh, for sacrifices, right? They're making money off of it. They also dressed extremely extravagant. They loved people to know that they were a Jewish Sadducee, that they were attached to the holy temple of God. And so they would dress extravagantly. They had really embraced the aristocratic society and they really felt that they were important religious figures in the time of Jesus. So in the gospel narrative, you'll see this bounce. Sometimes Jesus is talking to Pharisees, sometimes he's talking to Sadducees. Uh, but it doesn't always distinctly show you the difference between the two. Now the Pharisees, uh, so the Sadducees were not evangelistic at all. You were born a Jew, that's how you were a Jew. And then you did your sacrificial and cleansing uh, ceremonies in the temple and the Sadducees would help you with that by making money off of you. The Pharisees were actually sort of the younger radical group that was making drastic changes in Judaism. And the changes that they made sound very familiar to a change we made moving from Catholicism into Protestantism, where they basically said, you know, the Sadducees, they're, li- they're looking the part and they're running the temple, but like, they're not actually like, teaching people about the law. And so we're going to passionately get into the Bible, get into the, to the scroll At their time, and we're going to make that the centerpiece of all things. And so the Pharisees were more evangelistic than the Sadducees. They actually taught the law and converted people into Judaism. The Sadducees would not do that, the Pharisees would. And it was a bone of contention. But both of them dressed very extravagantly and had embraced this aristocratic lifestyle that was dominant under Roman rule in the time of Christ. And both parties, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, historically loved power and authority. They loved the power and authority that religion gave them. So much so that they were extremely judgmental toward lower-class people. Now, Luke's gospel gives us a parable. You're you're probably gonna know this parable. You'll recognize it. He gives us an example of exactly what I'm talking about. If you look at Luke chapter 18, verses nine to 14, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. So this is Jesus speaking, right? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were Jewish, but they hated them because they worked for the Romans. So they would take a Jewish person and get them to, ta- to collect taxes from their own people. So these are two Jewish people, probably both Pharisees, sort of loosely connected, but one's a tax collector and no one likes to pay taxes, right? Especially to Rome, especially to a government we don't even agree with, right? That's the tone that's happening here. He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. (laughs) Thank goodness I'm not like Pastor Tamil. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not like other people, like those robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. Like, God, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. Like, look at how obedient I am to you, God. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you see the posture difference? One of these postures is kind of like what we make Christmas, and one of these postures is actually Christmas. Do you see it? This is what Jesus says about this story. I tell you this man, so the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So the religious dude who lives in righteousness and is all holy and dressed in the holy garbs and follows the law and is obedient to God and all these different things, Jesus Christ is saying he did not go home justified. It was the tax collector, the posture of not even being able to look up to heaven and beating his breast to say, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And he says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Folks, in the time of Jesus, and I would even argue in some of our minds today, religion had become exclusive. Religion had, only, had become only for those who fit into it, only for those who fit the part, only for those who wanted to join the club. Now, this is interesting to me because it doesn't fit in the Christmas story at all. And the Christmas story is giving us the baseline for the good news, isn't it? So right away, if we're not fitting that, if it's not connecting, maybe the good news that we're preaching isn't even good news at all because it doesn't start the way that the good news begins. The Christmas story, folks, is all about God opening himself up to the outcasts, the peasants, and the marginalized. The Christmas story is all about God showing us how to give up power, not gain more power. Now that goes for all things. If you really like to be important in church, if you really like to be heard, if you really like to get your way, if you really like to be critical of things, if you really like all of these different Things, you're not giving up power. You're vying for power. And whenever power is present in the church, it's dangerous. It never goes well historically when the church holds power. But what do we do? What are we even doing today? Fighting for power. Scripture, right in the Christmas narrative, says, give it up, let it go. Join the marginalized. So much so, folks, that the entire story of the Christmas narrative involves the lower people of society instead of the powerful aristocrat or the important religious person. Isn't that interesting? In the most impactful event in history... The birth of Christ is saturated in God being generous with us. So much so that he invites everyone to participate. Think of how generous that God doesn't have to do that, right? He could have just given up on us. But he invites everyone to participate in this story. This is why he goes out of his way to invite the shepherds to be the ones to meet baby Jesus and become the first messengers of the good news. It's amazing, folks, what God is doing here, and we got to not miss it because it's baseline of us sharing the gospel. The low-standing shepherds, the worst of the worst, the lowest people in society, the people who were in the fields. Look at that imagery. Not even in the town. They're out in the middle of nowhere. Don't take offense to that if you're from Port Rowan. The people who are, the Bible says, Not just out in the fields, but they're out in the fields sitting in the dark. Like they don't even know what's going on around them. So the fact that they're out in the fields and they're in the dark, they're evidence that they're not fit to be the people present at a royal birth. But from the beginning of this message series that we've been preaching to you, it's becoming clearer and clearer, at least I hope, that God is not just inviting the clean, the privileged, the worthy, the royal, or the religious people to this new kingdom that he's gonna emerge through Jesus. Instead, folks, he's inviting, guess what? You ready? Not just your immediate family, not just people we like, he's inviting everyone. Don't miss this. Don't miss the inclusivity of the gospel Message, it's for all people. God has invited the religious, Elizabeth and Zachariah. He's invited the poor, Mary and Joseph. The wise, the seekers from the east. And the unclean and the unworthy, the shepherds. Jesus came in the most humble way, being born into a poor family from Nazareth. And the people involved in his birth are people of low stature and little importance. God wants all people to come into a relationship with him and he's showing us this right from the beginning of the birth of his son, right from the beginning of the Christmas narrative. Christmas is not about expensive gifts. It's not even about family time. It's definitely not about power or status or prestige. Christmas is about God taking the time to go out of his way to invite those who would not normally in a sin-filled world be invited to the table. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, because I have to quote passages because that's the only way you'll believe me. And even then you'll question it. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save who? The aristocrats? The ones who have it all figured out? The ones who look the part? No. He came to save the lost. Do you know how the Bible defines the lost? Those that recognize that they're a sinner and know that they need a savior. So if you're living life, like I got this, I've got it figured out, Jesus isn't looking for you. He's looking for the person that says, I'm broken and I need to be fixed. And the way that I'm gonna be fixed is I'm gonna get on my knees. You ever notice this in the posture of the Bible? It talks about getting on your knees to praise, being flat on your face to praise. The reason that the Bible talks like that is because that's a way of surrendering, right? And we don't just surrender cognitively. We surrender our whole self. And that's why the Bible says that. I fall to my knees and I surrender. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31, they're having a discussion around who can be saved and who can't be saved. And Jesus says this, it says, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The gospel message, folks, is all about recognizing our illness, and our illness is sin. Jesus came to save the world, and the Christmas story shows us how. Through people you would least expect. This is what Christmas teaches us that life is not about individualistic selfishness. It's not about giving gifts and being with family. It's not about power and status and and what career you, you function in. Christmas is about sharing Jesus with the world. And so for a Christian, Christmas is every day. It's not just a season that we celebrate. It's not just something that we walk through. For a Christian, we are called to share Jesus with the world. Christmas just gives us a little extra platform because we're celebrating the birth of that Savior. Christmas is about sacrificially moving to the margins, giving up our power and status so that we can share space with those whom we often ignore. Christmas is about being... Reminded that we have lost our way and that we need a savior. The savior that's come to save us and Christmas is to celebrate the coming of this Lord, our king. So this year, folks, rather than making Christmas about ourselves or our immediate family or what we think Christmas should be, what if we stepped out and did what God did? Right? Bear with me on this. What if we decided in the Christmas season, I'm going to step out and do what God did. I'm going to purposely step into the margins and give the gift of my presence to someone who, based on the world's standards, would not be invited. Because Christmas is all about others' centeredness and learning to see the world how God sees it. It's a time of year where we're corrected and where we're reminded that Jesus is our Lord and the gospel message, the good news, is for everybody. And we're the lowly shepherds that are called to carry that message to the world. I'm gonna invite Pastor Tamil up to just share in some reflection time around this sermon.
1: I was uh, going through a box of um, artwork that I had made when I was a kid. My mom pulled it out from the basement a little while ago, and we're kind of looking through some of the the pictures I had drawn as a child, and uh, I came across um, this piece of art. I I just tried to... Yeah, there it is. It it, it worked. So this is one of my most um, proud pieces of artwork from my childhood. If you can't read it, it says, I like Santa. I like Jesus. And the reason I love it so much is because it shows the profound spiritual depth I had, like, from such a young age, you know? Like, I think that... um, The reality is some of us never really grow past this this idea of like Jesus and Santa and elf on the shelf and like you know gingerbread cookies all being part of what we sense uh Christmas being about and part of the scenery that kind of gives us those warm Christmas fuzzies Jesus is just kind of like one more piece of decor on the mantle with the nativity scene you know and uh I don't think it ever really struck me until you know, the last few years really that this part of the Christmas story that like God came to be with us to include us as part of his kingdom, regardless of where we're at, right? Like it's actually glaring in scripture, but so easy to miss because we just kind of like, you know, the picture of sweet little baby Jesus, right? Because he's so cute. But really like it's so important as we prepare to celebrate Christmas this year and as we just think about what it means that God came to be with us, that God took on flesh and and blood and came to be with us in Christ, it's so important that we recognize that central to that message is that regardless of who you are, or where you've come from or what you're struggling with or whether you're rich or poor or whether you come from a religious background or you have no religious you know, bone in your body, that God came to be with you, that you are invited, that you are part of this kingdom. And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so we're just gonna take a couple of moments as we wrap up. I just wanna invite you to reflect on how you have experienced God's generous invitation, his generous welcome. And then to to how he's calling you to extend that uh, to someone else this holiday season. And the reason I want to start with thinking about how we've experienced God's welcome is because I think sometimes we talk about sharing the good news. We know this is something we're called to. This is something we know we should do as believers, uh, followers of Jesus. But sometimes we forget to experience it. You know, before we can really spread the good news of God's love and welcome and hope and peace to others. We need to make sure that we are opening ourselves up to God and receiving it and embracing his presence in our lives. So I'm going to invite you to just take a moment to reflect on this question now. How have you experienced God's generous welcome? And just as you reflect on that, just take a moment to thank God, to worship, to experience some gratitude as you celebrate the way he's invited you in. And now, who is God inviting you to extend his generous welcome to this holiday season? Maybe that's through an invitation, spending some time together, inviting someone to a meal. Maybe it's just sending someone a message, just being a friend to someone who's needing, needing hope, needing peace right now. How is God inviting you to extend his welcome to someone in a special way this Christmas? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up uh, as we close in prayer. God, we thank you that you are a God who sees us, that you know us, you know our names, you know our stories, you know where we've come from. And God, when we were at our worst and when we were at our best, and regardless of where we are today, God, you love us and you invite us into your kingdom to be a part of what you're doing in the world. You accept us, and you call us your children. And God, I pray that as we celebrate Christmas this year, that you would lay that on our heart in a fresh way, that you would remind us, God, of how good it is um, that you came to be with us, that this really is good news for all people. And in experiencing it, God, that we wouldn't be able to help ourselves, but to share that with others. God, in how we speak and how we act and how we prioritize our time in uh, in just the way we're willing to extend grace. God, help us to um, to really stay focused on on you, on the reason that we're celebrating, especially as we head into this coming week uh, and celebrate Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen. And would you uh, stand as we close with worship?
2: Our salvation, Jesus, for our sake For good, and the Lamb had conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored, and the Church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lived the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not fail, shall not fade by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for
0: the love of jesus christ who has resurrected verse 18, verse 19, says this. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned. So they're they're going back to normal life, right? But they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Folks, we've been told. We have this message. We we have the Christmas story right here in Scripture. And so it's my prayer this morning that we would return to regular life just like the shepherds did. That we would return glorifying and praising God for all the things in which we have heard and seen, which were just, as they've been told to us. Father, as we go today, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just go back into normal life the way that we tend to live it. I pray, Lord, that, that by the power and presence of your spirit, that you would stir something in our hearts and we would leave this place glorifying your holy name, just sharing who you are to the world because we're in such awe of what we've been told, of the story in which we are part of because you offer us salvation through the birth, the life, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of Emmanuel, God with us. You've given us your presence and you live in us. So Lord, I just pray that we would just not go back to the way we were, that we would leave praising you. In Jesus' name, amen.